You don't have to be crazy to be my friend. I will teach you. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. For any new listeners, I'm Andrea. I am a recovering alcoholic and shit show, and I tend to curse more than the average Joe. So if that ain't your thing, you've been warned. So today, I am joined by Tiffany Carter. She is a badass recovering shit show and entrepreneur. And most importantly, she is a friend. You know, I think one of the most amazing gifts of being in recovery, whether that's from the disease of family dysfunction, alcoholism, addiction, whatever, is the relationships we get to form with those who are also in recovery. Relationships rooted in authenticity and intimacy, relationships with those who know our pain, relationships that feed the soul in such profound ways. And Tiffany is someone I feel very, very honored to trudge the road of healing with. And she is going to be telling us all about the shit show known as her life. And it is rather juicy, in my opinion. But first, I have a dating app story that just happened. This is live reporting, y'all. So on my dating profile, it says that I am a CPA turned podcaster. And so whenever a guy asks me what my podcast is about, this is my go-to answer. I will gladly share, but just warning you that you will know everything there is to know about me. So it is your call if you prefer I stay a bit mysterious for now. So I'm having this conversation with... um a guy yesterday. And so he says, let's unravel this slowly then. But I do have a few guesses. And I said, let's hear these guesses. So he says, my first guest is mental health thing. My second is health of some kind and third sports. And so I replied, wow, you nailed it. All of the above. It is about what semi-pro bipolar speed skaters should eat for breakfast. And he said, wow, I'm good. Uh, he asked what he wanted. And I said, you get the opportunity to, you know, uh, call me to ask me on a date. So I give him my number. So he calls me about this, is, I don't know, 45 minutes ago. And I answer the phone and he says, what are you doing? I said, I am uh, working on my um, breakfast bipolar speed skater podcast. Uh, so there wasn't a doubt in my mind that he didn't realize that I was being sarcastic. Like I was 100% confident that he realized that this was a joke. But then about 10 or 15 minutes into the conversation, he says something and I realized that he actually does believe me. He actually believed that I have a podcast about what bipolar semi-pro speed skaters should eat for breakfast. And I said to him, I said, I don't know what to make of this. Like, I think this is perhaps very, very concerning and a huge red flag that you actually would believe that that was uh, what the pod is about. So I don't know what that means, guys, but I will reveal more. We're going to go out uh, next week sometime. But yes, I was, uh, I don't know. Is that a deal breaker, guys, that he would actually think that that is legit? Let me know. And last thing, as I shared last week, this week is my first week of being a full-time podcaster. This is the first week of me fully stepping into what I believe as my greater purpose. You know, and it's super exciting. 
it's also really scary and there's a lot of uncertainty and financial insecurity, but I wholeheartedly know that this is the path that, you know, I need to go down. So I'm looking for sponsors for the pod, whether that's, you know, a small business or some sort of a mental health um, organization or even somebody who just has too much money on their hand. They don't know what to do with it. And, you know, they they like what I'm doing and they want to help me grow it. So if you are one of those people, you work in the mental health field, you're a small business or you just have too much money on your hands and you want to help a girl out, uh, hit a girl up. Okay. Uh, and other ways that you can help me is you can join the Patreon. That is where I host two weekly peer support groups on Zoom. You can also give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify. Do it now. Well, everyone, it is my pleasure to introduce a new friend, a godsend, truly a godsend. Um, as I've said before in this podcast, like the most amazing thing has been just the relationships and the people that I've been able to connect with, one of which being today's guest, Tiffany Carter. She is a recovering shit show, just like us, still actively a shit show at times. She's an adult child. She's a business coach. She has a podcast called uh, Project Me with Tiffany Carter. I don't think I don't think that shit show really ever goes away. It just kind of like morphs into some other <laughs> into mm-hmm. some other things. It's evolving. It's an evolving shit show because just when I'm like, you know what, like I I really do have it together, and I have like a moment of thinking that, then like God makes a point of reminding me really quickly. Like, oh no, there's, there's another layer and this one's going to hit you even harder this time. So there's that. This one's going to be even shittier. (laughs) Seriously. So when you reached out to me on Instagram, I had been getting like around this time, I had been getting a lot of messages from, um, like fake, like, like fake coach accounts. Your audio just cut out as you hang yourself slowly (laughs) take two can you please eat a chip for me (laughs) put them away i'm like gonna fucking throw some i'm like not okay with this you guys i'm having audio issues i'm just gonna keep this in we were having issues with audio earlier and i was aggressively eating tortilla chips with kind of a little bit old seven layer bean dip. Oh, she, if she exits the interview abruptly, we know what it's from. Yeah. It's like a little bit tangy, you know, that's not okay. (laughs) That's desperate times right there. That's not good. No, I mean, it still tastes good. You told me you like vinegar sauces. That's true, (laughs) but not with beans. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we both have like a fondness for condiments. We've noted, mm-hmm. we've discovered all these things that we have in common and we had like a full condiment, deep conversation. It was really enjoyable. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's actually what we're going to be talking about today, guys. Right. Condiments and how that's evolved through our adult child recovery. <laughs> <laughs> but what I was saying was that I thought that you were a fake account, but you're not a fake account. So that's good. I'm glad that you're real. Well, that's good. That's yeah. hysterical that there are people that are hitting you up that have fake accounts. Like, what are they going to get out of it? I don't get it. 
I don't have any idea. It's very, but you know, what's weird is I was getting the message from, it was all these, it was like PR accounts of these coaches. They were all different accounts, but they were all sending me the exact same message. This is so, what not to do people. Yeah. I'm really afraid that this is not going to record, but whatever. Well, well it is recording because it's recording on my end. I can see it. Okay. So my dear, I've learned a lot about your broken picker and it's, it was, it was very broken. Like mine, you have quite gems of stories. Um, but I want to learn more about your, your childhood and I've learned some. Um, but when you think about your dysfunctional upbringing, like how do you describe, cause I know that alcoholism wasn't necessarily present. How would you describe the dysfunction within your home? My mom has the ism. So she is anorexic. So that's a form of an addiction. She is, I call her an attention whore, but, but in more professional terms, I mean, she really does have like more of like a love relationship type addiction and then workaholism. My mom's also a diagnosed narcissist. So that dysfunctional family part was very important. I'm glad they added that because I wouldn't have thought I would have fit into ACA without that. And my parents were divorced and I was four. My father is not an alcoholic either. He's an, he's an unrealized ACA, completely shut down emotionally and checked out. So when you say that your mom is a, a diagnosed narcissist, what do you mean by that? Well, a lot of people that like term gets thrown around a lot like, oh, you know, he's a narcissist. I'm being gaslit. I see it, especially a lot on social media. And I'm not saying that's not happening for them, but it's being very overused and a true narcissist. I mean, this is serious abuse and I'm not saying it's not serious what these other people are talking about. They might be picking up some toxic traits, but a narcissist actually can't be helped. Like they, there's no point in them going to therapy. There's, Uh there's nothing that you can do for them. Um, The way they think you can't outsmart them or outwit them or get ahead of them. As many of us ACAs, we've learned to be super hyper vigilant and like be two steps ahead. And we know all the different scenarios and the exits. There is no getting ahead of them unless you're one of them. I I can't think like her. I would never even fathom doing the things that she does to people or did to me. Mm-hmm. So I was truly caught off guard all the time, even being that hyper vigilant like kid and teen. Yeah, I think that there's lots of people that have narcissistic tendencies. And I think that that's what people, when they're, when they're calling people narcissists, they're probably not true narcissists, but they have, you know, personality traits as such. Um, So what is your earliest childhood memory? There's a few. One is at four years old where I was literally being pulled between my mom and my dad. My guess is it was like going to my dad's house or my mom's. Um, I have that. My memories, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate, they've like thawed out over the seven years I've been in, in ACA. Mm-hmm. So some are still fuzzy. I have another memory of my, this might be a little triggering. So I like saying it up front because my stories can be a little graphic. Um, there, my mom was checking my private parts, probably around six years old, like an inspection, almost like a medical exam in a way to see if there was something, some concern there. 
and it was not explained. It wasn't talked to. And that was when I really suppressed, like that didn't come up for a long time Mm -hmm. in program. Cause I was like, that's gross and creepy to think about. And I still don't know why she did it. And there was no explanation, but it was obviously traumatic enough for it to imprint like that with me. Mm -hmm. And so did you go back and forth between your mom and your dad? No, my dad, my dad did not kind of fight for me, so to speak. Uh Uh So it was like the Tuesday night dinner, no overnights and Saturday morning. Um, he was, my mom was like the scary one. Right. And he was the super passive one. So he didn't do anything to get more time. If my mom made up a story of why I couldn't go, he was very agreeable. So Mm -hmm. I didn't spend that much time with him. So were you aware that your childhood was fucked up like as a kid or was that something that didn't set in until later? When I realized it wasn't normal was when I started doing more sleepovers. So probably like fourth grade. Okay. You know, I started being allowed to like go to sleepovers and I'd be at other people's houses and the energy in the house, like some, I want, I didn't want to leave, you know, it felt different. It felt fun. We could eat like frosted mini wheats is like a big memory of mine. This is probably why I like love like condiments and dips and all those fun things because I ate like tofu at my, at my house. <laughs> so you could eat fun things. You could laugh really loud there was a sense of like freedom I felt. Mm -hmm. And the more I slept over and then that feeling of when I came back to my house, the energy difference, I did notice as a kid, I was like, my mom's kind of like, my mom's kind of fucking nuts. Mm -hmm. I was like, she's kind of nuts. Like something's weird here for sure. And so what were some of the earliest ways that kind of the neglect and uh, trauma that you were experiencing at home was manifesting itself like as a kid? Well, the main abuse for me, I mean, obviously it started, I'm sure in the womb. Yeah. Um, you were but, your only child, your mom's only child. Did your dad have any other kids? No, okay. only, only, only. So I only have one living relative to this day and that's my mom. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is either dead or there was not procreation. Um, the main abuse for me started and I say main abuse, got only an ACA would say that main abuse, <laughs> <laughs> the main abuse, the, the main the, abuse, the more severe, the headlining yeah. show, <laughs> the main oh, abuse. Jesus. Um, the grand when prize. I, exactly. The grand prize of abuse <laughs> started at 11. I was in sixth grade and mm-hmm that is when I started being sexually abused and my mom was aware of it. My mom took me to buy slutty and appropriate clothes, sent me on the dates. So a form of being pimped out from 11 to 21 years old, that was the headlining show. So tell me about that first time. So like I you're don't remember, I don't remember like the first time that's hazy. Um, the primary abuser, because there's more than one, the primary one worked for my mom. My mom had a company out of our home. So there was like 40 to 50 people coming in and out of our house six days a week. She would go on a plethora 
I was excited to use that word, um, a plethora <laughs> of dates. Mm-hmm. And so she had him because my granny nanny that she normally used must not have been available. So she had this guy. I mean, I'll say his first name. I don't give a shit. But she had Adam watch me like stay after work to watch me. And, you know, he's getting paid. So he said yes. And I was excited as a kid. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah, having a babysitter. It's, right. It's not was like he younger. A, was he like, he a, was, a? I believe he was 19 and I was 11. Okay. But, he, but I think he could have been 21 and I was 11 because okay. he never got carded, but he wasn't like 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was excited because he was always like friend, you know, he was always friendly fun. to me and fun. And it wasn't like my granny nanny. This was someone younger, like who played like <laughs> Basket- <laughs> played like basketball with me so I was excited and he like got me subway which at that time was like Fuck, a big deal yeah. subway was like fancy at one point uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I was excited by that um he of course like a typical sexual molester they don't start right away they groom you the grooming process was probably several months where he bought me I loved Legos I still do but he bought me Legos. He got me um, frozen yogurt at least two, three times a week. Um, then it started to where we got so close. My mom wanted me to refer to him as my him as my brother. Okay. Which I didn't really understand why I would call him my brother. But as an only child, that sounded fun because my friends had siblings. So I was like, oh, I'll call him my brother. Then he became my driver. You had to call him that instead of brother? No, I called him brother, oh. but then he became my driver. Like my mom stopped driving me to like school to dance lessons and shit. And this guy was driving me. What if the your molester. mom said that you had to call him driver? I mean, I would have <laughs> called him driver. What, whatever she wanted me to do, I uh-huh. would have done. So it was a few months that he probably groomed me. He would wait until I started to fall asleep at night. My mom knew he was in my bedroom and it would be like almost at the same time every night he'd wait till I almost fell asleep and then he would start in. Mm. Mm. And I don't have memories of like details, which is very common, which is, and I'm not trying to open that box. Like if I'm supposed to know it, I will It'll pop up, Yeah, but I can tell you this, like, I knew about doing lots of things that I would have had no way of knowing. Mm-hmm. So clearly heavy shit happened. Did, did your mom have a sexual relationship with him? Oh my God. I fucking love you. You are the second person only ever in my entire life. Who's asked that. And it's so validating. To, I'm going to cry. That's so validating to me that you even asked that my gut tells me yes. My gut tells me, do I have any evidence? No, my gut tells me, yes. I'm fascinated that you just asked me that. I think so too. Yeah, I do. What kind of business was it? It was a marketing company. So she, I mean, my mom's pretty successful. Um, A lot of like clients in the liquor business, you know, a lot of, you know, remember like the Jaeger girls? I don't know if you remember that, like the shot Mm -hmm. girls, like she, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of models. There was lots of stuff going on all t- at all times. We had 10 phone lines in my house. It was pure chaos. 
at all times. She never stopped. I've never seen this woman just sit and chill and watch a movie to this day. She couldn't sit with herself. Mm -hmm. There were so many men that it was, it was insane. It was like, okay, it's another guy. It's another guy. And one, I mean, talk about a broken picker. One was more toxic after the next, but she used me as a bartering tool with some of these men. Like, look at my gorgeous model young daughter and like would parade me, like would give me an outfit to wear that was definitely inappropriate for that age to use me as some kind of a tool like, oh, it's hey, it's a joint package here. You get me and her. What do you know about her childhood? Nothing. Nothing at all. Number one, narcissists never give you the truth anyway. Number two, my your grandparents dead. No, my grandparents were great. My grandparents were the most normal people of all the people. I mean, they were great. Like, and even in high, they were alive until my grandmother died just a few years ago. My grandfather was alive um, through college. So I, I did, tr- I knew my mom was messed up by the time I was in high school for sure. So I would have spidey senses on grandma and grandpa trying to pick up stuff never Uh picked up a vibe ever nothing Mm. never asked i never asked oh hell no no way would i have asked what was their relationship like with her my mom was in charge it was it's the relationship that everyone has with her Mm -hmm. she's in charge you acquiesce to her, the, the narcissist, right? You make sure you stay in your lane. You go mm-hmm. out of the lane. It's not going to be good for you. So you just stay in the lane. So they stayed in, they for sure stayed in the lane, I think, so that they could see me. Mm-hmm. But they played the, they played the part they had to play to, to stay in her good graces. You know, what would be interesting. Have you ever gone on, um, you know how like the, the the Mormon church has like a, a pretty extensive like ancestry data database for like everybody. It would be really interesting to go on there and see what you could find. What do you mean? Like I'm, I'm a secret Mormon. No, I'm telling you for every single person. It's like crazy. Oh, really? Yes. They have like this insane database. That's creepy. For free. Interesting. Yeah. I'll show, I mean, I went on there and I was blown away at the stuff that I found. Wow, that would be interesting to see. Because yeah. I don't even know what I am. I've not done like 23 and me or whatever those okay, things are. Okay, well, called. we're gonna have a party where we're gonna <laughs> like I have no idea. All I know is my grandfather was like a shade of brown. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Lord. But if you ask my mom, the story changes every time. Oh, well, we're mostly French. Or if she's in a different mood, it like, oh, we're Norwegian. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm blown away at some of the stuff that I found on there. So I don't I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was had something to do with them trying to get people to join the church, but it's crazy. Like they just have like this insane database. Listen, if they show up at my door after I go on this website, no, I'm gonna I'll do it. Freak out. You're gonna kill me? Well, you've already done your Scientology bit. So. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you think that your parents were aware of anything that was uh, grandparents aware of anything that was going on when you were a kid? 
I, I don't, I don't think they were aware, but not like full ignorance. It's almost like even if they got a hint, they made sure to not be aware if that makes sense. And I felt like that from almost everyone, the two people who had concerned disappeared from my life. One was granny nanny, never to be seen, heard from again. And this is someone who I had in my life since a baby. Mm. And she brought up concern specifically about Adam and she witnessed him touching me inappropriately, never to see her again. No way to find her. I tried to find her. How do you know this? How do I know she disappeared? How do you know that she saw and told and said something? I heard. Oh, I, I, yeah. She said something to me first and uh, I denied it. And then I heard overheard her saying something to my mom Mm -hmm. and my mom's line was, oh, that's ridiculous. That's like her brother. Which my mom, my mom, my mom fully knew my mom orchestrated it. Mm -hmm. And then I never saw her again. So I think because of the money, you know, the, the money is power and that fear of the narcissist. I mean, they can just Mm -hmm. stand there and they can, their energy can be very scary. Um, people, people knew, Hey, if you want the gravy train, you keep your mouth shut. You don't question. Mm -hmm. And then who was the other person? The other person was her, so to speak, best friend. And my mom set up a date with my mom's best friend's son, who was 23 and I was 12 and set up a date for me to go out with him. He tried to have sex with me. It didn't work. Like go out where? Like, like, yes, I was going to five-star restaurants in Chicago. It was bizarre. Yeah. Were you tall? Yeah, I was. That's what's weird is I had, you know how like in, in program or a lot of therapists will have you get a picture of yourself at certain ages. And in my mind, I've built it up that, you know, cause I did modeling and stuff. So I was like, well, I probably looked way older and that's why no one, no waiters, no one at these restaurants or hotels said anything. And I really built that up. And I was the tallest by far in the class and developed and all of that stuff but I really made it out to be something in my head. And when I did that exercise and I saw my 11 year old self, Mm. I I, I did not. No, I did. I looked like I was in middle school Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh my God, why didn't anyone say anything? I mean, I sat across, I'm talking every weekend, multiple times a week, going out to dinner. Like you go out on a date with someone with alcohol being ordered and me drinking it. And no one said a word. I don't know if that would happen today. I would like, I would like to think not. I mean, wouldn't you say something, even if you were like, even if you were like, well, maybe I'm wrong, but I better err on the side of caution. I would, Mm -hmm. I always, but that led into me going, oh, this must be normal or this must not be that bad. Because no one said anything. No one even gave like a side eye. So I was like, okay, so this must not, this must be like kind of a normal thing. 
And so was this the time, like, did you, I'm assuming that this is when your true self really went into hiding. Uh, You know what? I think my true self went into hiding even long before that. Mm -hmm. Um, What was really developed in this time was my false self. Mm -hmm. I would watch people who appeared really competent. I was heavily bullied in middle school. I was the class slut because I was Mm -hmm. acted out and was very Mm -hmm. obviously inappropriate, which is textbook, right? So I was the class slut. So I was getting bullied there. I had nowhere to go. And I had, I knew I needed to survive. I needed to come across as like confident, which I wasn't, I was broken. And so I would watch what other confident people did. Like they stood up straight. They spoke clearly. They didn't speak softly. And I emulated that. So my false self was really strongly developed. And did you have friends that were your age? Yes. Yep. And I am 99% sure at least one of them was also molested by these people due to proximity of me. And I Mm -hmm. have looked for her on like social media because I would love to, not that I owe an amends, but I'd love to open up a conversation and I can't find her anywhere. Mm. So then, so then how, what was your relationship like your mom, like as this was like going on? So you said that this was going on from about age 11 to 21. Yeah. That's the part that sounds wild to people because it's like, okay, how is that still going on? Like, even though you left for college and even though, I mean, I was on TV as a TV newscaster and being, being molested by this person, the prime person. Because remember, yeah, Adam. Because How long did that go on for? That was 11 to 21 the whole time. There were there were different people, some people in between, especially in middle school. But once I got my period at 13, you usually don't like you're not you're not on the market for pedophiles, usually mm-hmm. being blunt at that point. So in that 11 to 13, there were other people, but the steady state was him. He worked for my mom the entire time. And remember, I was told to call on my brother. I spent more time with him than anybody. And he gave me cards. He was very adoring and loving to me. I spoke at his wedding. He came to my high school graduation. So when did he get married? When I was 19 years old, he got married. And... I was like, they're not married anymore. But I was like, I remember thinking, how does she not? I would have breakthrough moments of consciousness. Like either I'd be in my denial, right? Of he's my brother. I love him. And once in a while, I'd once in a while reality would come through. But that's like 2% of the time. I was really in totally that this is normal. So then what did that look like as you're getting older, you're set like 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I mean, was it just like he would come, he would be like, hey, do you want to have sex? Or like, no. I mean, it's a lot different. Like, what did that look like as you got older? It was that he had every right to my body. He had full right to my body. Like, not that a boyfriend or a husband has a full right to your body. I don't mean it like that, but in that way where it's like, you know, if you have a significant other, they can grab your ass whenever they want kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It was he, he I had been taught and groomed that he had full 
right to my body. And that was that. And I didn't resist it because I wanted the love from him. And I didn't want the punishment for my mom. My mom's main form of punishment was, I think it's called stonewalling, but it's when like Mm -hmm. someone ignores you as though you're like a ghost. Mm -hmm. That was my mom's main form of punishment. And that was, I would have rather been hit than have that, than have that. So I didn't want to be in her wrath. So I was already desensitized. You want to use my body? I let people use my body all the time. So whatever. And did you ever have a boyfriend, like an age appropriate boyfriend during that time period? Totally. And he's him and his wife are friends of mine to this day. And he's one of the first people I reach out to when I started thawing out. And he absolutely hated Adam. He worked for my mom, too. I think you're seeing a pattern. Everyone works for my mom. He worked for my mom. And he was actually one of one of the nice guys that was too nice for me. And he never liked the vibe. And he didn't like it then, but I defended Adam hardcore and mm-hmm. he didn't like it then. He thought it was weird then. And he's the only other person who said your mom was your mom had a relationship with him. He's the only other person who said that to me. Mm. Jeez. So what happened at 21? As a newscaster, especially when you start out, you're put on. I mean, the the stories you're put, I mean, we all see the news, like the saying goes, if it bleeds, it leads. This was in Chicago. Uh, This was in Washington. Okay. So you left, you moved. Yeah. I went to college in Boston and then I got hired at NBC at age 20 in Washington state, Washington state. Yes. One time I dated a guy that didn't know the difference between Washington state and Washington, DC. Why, (laughs) why am I not surprised? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that's a winner super high IQ um so I went on a story and it was a very graphic kind of a gang rape type situation um and I had to interview psychologists it was like one of those stories where it's like you're reporting on it for days and days and days Mm -hmm. and I had to interview these child psychologists talking about what the trauma response and what happens. And Mm -hmm. I wish I had this lady's name. I don't remember it. But after the interview, she gave me her card Mm. and she goes, you would have only asked those questions. If you, if you were only a victim of sexual abuse would have asked these questions that you asked me, you asked amazing questions, but you would have had to have been a victim to have asked those. And I'm here anytime you want to talk. And that was someone who pierced through the false self and saw me, even though I was doing everything to keep that veil, right, of newscaster Tiff, like, all's okay here. And I didn't say anything back to her. It was like I was frozen. Wow. And that's when I re- started dethawing at a rapid rate, very rapidly. Mm. And so did you cut off communication with your mom at that point? No, I didn't cut off any communication with my mom. I'm 44 now, probably two years ago. 
Yeah. No, I've been not like an, in a mate, like regular yeah. communication, yeah. but enough to appease and play the narcissist game. I've been doing that dance for many years until about two years ago where I was like, I'm exhausted. Like I can't keep doing this. <sighs> mm-hmm. So now let's get into the fun part. You're like, <laughs> you guys listening are like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, they're like, let's kill me. Kill me now. <laughs> Stop lifting. Um, let's hear some cringy dating shit. <laughs> well, because of because of that chaos that happened and all that conditioning, my, sta- my standards weren't exactly high. <laughs> really high. <laughs> It was like, if you were unattainable, yeah, if you showed me love, like if you showed me whatever I thought was high, yeah, I mean, you showed me love, you were kind, you know, I, I felt bad. Even if I wasn't attracted to you, I'd go on a date with you. Like I felt bad. So I would go, oh my God, there's so many. I mean, there were, there's the guy with the toupee and I didn't know he had a toupee and then the toupee (laughs) partly came off like during activities, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what is happening? Like I'd never seen a toupee (laughs) before. And like the guy ended up being like 25 years older than he said. I'm like, God, a toupee really covers up a lot of stuff. It really, those things can work. Was he like that? Was he like David? Remember David from 90 Day? The guy that went over to Ukraine? Was, yes. Oh my God. Yes. Thank you. You, you, you wasn't that a, with, isn't I think that you dated him. Isn't that a two? But that guy has a toupee, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. not normal hair, is it? No. Is that who you dated? It was like that. It was that guy. <laughs> totally. Totally. And I was like, I didn't think anything of it. I do remember like we went on a hike and he was sweating a lot. And like more than a normal person would sweat. Well, now we know why. Because I'm sure a toupee is really hot. Yeah. Yeah, there was that. I mean, but I always <laughs> I always had a guy. Like if I thought things were fizzling, I made sure I had a backup guy. And I literally had mm-hmm. names for it. I was, I was not like shy about it. I would be like, I have the back burner guy. I have the always available guy. Like there was always, I, there was all of that. I didn't, I could not be alone without a guy. Mm-hmm. So when did the dating addicts and alcoholics start? Or when was like the first significant relationship where that was really present? That started probably mid twenties. It was the second guy I lived with. And, you know, when you're dating, unless you're like sober dating, there's a lot of alcohol involved. And I don't mean like getting necessarily wasted, but like you have a bottle of wine at dinner or whatever. So I did not pick up on any, any cues. And I was, you know, I guess I was naive. Like I thought, well, if someone holds down like a very impressive job, they Mm -hmm. can't can't also be be an alcoholic. Like Mm -hmm. I really thought that Mm -hmm. I didn't know. And Mm -hmm. he had a really impressive job and, and was like, sound financially sound and had a lot of friends and I didn't see any of the signs. Um, but then I learned by living with him that the person I actually fell in love with was the alcoholic, the active alcoholic, not the sober him, the sober him barely spoke and was a dick. Mm. And I, 
Yeah. I was like, God, that's, you know, so the person I really liked, I remember my therapist who's since passed away. She said to me, cause then it was like, that was the first start of the alcoholic. And then there was like other addicts after that. And I remember saying to her, what, what's wrong with me? Like, why do I have a broken picker? Right? Like what's wrong with me? Why do I attract all these people? And she goes, well, part of you likes being with addicts because you can always point the finger at them. Ooh, was I pissed off at her. I was furious. I was like, oh, so you're making it about me. And these people are the problem. And you're making it about me. And I remember being so upset, but I never forgot that she said that because that that really is kind of dead on, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course, especially given your reaction. Yeah. So seven years ago is when you really bottomed out. Was that the end of a relationship? That was, of course, that was part of the bottom. Let's talk about what, like, what, what were you like in the height of the insanity <sighs> of your codependency adult childness? What did that look like? I was the person that probably all of you would hate. Thank God I wasn't on Instagram <laughs> and I wasn't someone who like posted a bunch on social media in general. Thank God. Oh my God. I was the person where I'd be like, there's always a guy I'm on a private jet. Um, you know, I always have the nails done. I always have the designer bag. I have the design, you know, I have the luxury car. Cause you know, I'm a, you, there's a payoff to being a workaholic. Right. I mean, so I had, I was always moving, like going to Coachella, going to burning man, you know, always, always something always moving. The only time I was not in motion or doing, or all of that is when I'd get sick and I got sick often, which is talked about in the red book, mm -hmm. I'd say every five weeks. And I'm not talking a slight cold. I get like a sinus infection, bronchitis, mm -hmm. walking pneumonia, because that's the mm -hmm. only time I gave myself permission to rest. Mm -hmm. But was I really still in my sickness? No, I was on, you know, cough medicine and NyQuil. And I wasn't really sitting with my thoughts then either. But that was the only time I got a reprieve. But I do remember every time I came home, whether it's from a work thing, a conference, you know, a uh, music festival, I felt like I could have a sigh of relief when I finally got home. Like, mm -hmm. and I was alone. Like mm -hmm. I could be myself now. Mm -hmm. Okay. I don't have to put on a show. And I used to call it the Tiffany show. And I thought that was normal. I could, I could just, oh my God, I could just be me. And it felt so good. And I just felt like I could have peace. It never, I never put two and two together. Like, that Tiffany can also go out in the world and be successful and have friends. I thought the because I had no self-worth. I thought the only person who could have friends and be successful was this false self that had been so strongly developed. So then what about in relationships? Like what, what did your insanity look like? Oh God. I'm, I was the girl where it's like, I went back to the same guy over and over and over. I'm talking not three times, like 16 times, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like over yeah. and over. And then I wouldn't talk to my friends about it because mm -hmm. I knew it was nuts, but I couldn't mm -hmm. stop myself. Mm -hmm. And I would go back and I knew not to go back, but I like had to, I mean, it was my, 
It was my drug of choice. My, that was my drug of choice. Without a doubt. I mean, and part of me really hated myself for it because I saw my mother in that. Because mm. my mom obviously had all the guys, except I didn't, I don't have children. So I wasn't imposing that on a child. But still, I was, I had that behavior. It was a shameful behavior, just like, you know, doing cocaine or, you know, overeating. I would, I had, I had shame around. I couldn't control myself. I had to go. I had to see the guy. I had to let him see me. And so what I, you know, what I taught these people, even people who were not addicts or were nicer people, I taught them that no didn't mean no. My boundaries were never, ever solid. Right. Mm -hmm. And they could always get me back. And Tiffany's just upset and I'll do it again. And that still lives within me today. Like, I'm not naive to think that it's an addiction. Like, I have to manage it. Like, I still get that pull today. Is it nearly as strong? No. But I still get that pull. I know. (laughs) I wish I didn't. I hate it. I hate that pull, but I still get it. And thank God for, thank God for program because, oh my God, it's exhausting what I did. And I accepted unacceptable behavior. I had crumbs. like crumbs, like your crumbs, <laughs> right? Like, but he's a nice guy. I stayed with he's a guy. Wait, listen, listen to this. I stayed with a guy because he was really good with like electronics and tech stuff. And I'm, that's not my forte. <laughs> <laughs> and I stayed with him because like he helped with tech stuff in my business and like hooked up my TV and shit in my house. And I literally said this to a friend. She's like, why are you still with him? Like, you don't want to be with him anymore. I go, yeah, but he's so helpful with my electronics. She's like, I think you can hire someone for that. But at least that's like a reason, like at least that's like legitimate reason. (laughs) I feel like I didn't even have a good reason like that. (laughs) It never crossed my mind. Like, oh, you could hire someone to do that. Yeah. And I go, oh my God. I remember when she said that I was like slightly horrified with myself. I mean, then there's the guy who is the foot rubber. I think a lot of us have had the foot rubber where it's like, <laughs> I never had one. You, really? Okay. No. Well, I don't wish that on you because they're hard to leave. Okay. It was like the he foot was really rubber. Good. Yeah. Like you'd watch your shows together and he'd rub your feet. Like, I'm not talking like five minutes, like most guys, guys take. You're talking note. about the whole damn like, show. I'm talking like a solid 30 per foot where you'd be yeah. like in a Netflix mesmer- and chill. You'd be in a mesmerizing <laughs> like coma. Uh-huh. Oh my God. And he would bring me snacks so I could eat snacks while the foot feet wow. are being rubbed. Very hard for me to leave that. Yeah, Very difficult. That was tough. No and shit. Then, then he would use it and be like, well, I'll just, how about I just come over? I can tell you're stressed and like, give Rub me your feet massage. and give you some chips. <laughs> many times, many times I was like, well, as long as it's just a foot rub. Yeah. Oh my God. You got Doritos? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously though, like that was a pretty good setup. But I mean, I was willing to trade, not getting what I wanted, trade chaos, trade unacceptable behavior for a foot rub. That's a form of crumbs. That's that's wild. I know, but it is like that. It's like we're fucking powerless. 
it really is an addiction. Like I, when I first started program my first year, my sponsor, she had me, I think I told you this, but she had me lock up. Cause you know, I followed the deal of like, don't date, don't flirt, don't have sex, don't whatever, you know, for 12, 12 months. I was like white knuckling that. And that was like, that's when I realized, oh, like I'm sick. So she had me lock up my phone and my iPad. I had like a cubby inside of a closet that had like luggage in front of it. Wasn't easy to access, put an old school padlock combo on it. And I had to do that because my like prime trigger times were like Friday through Sunday. Right. And I did that. And I ended up, I, I, I remember this, I was on my knees doing that combo lock and I had a like, and I didn't have a, like a flashlight on my phone. So my phone was in there and I couldn't see. And I was like fumbling with it. And I, I, I'm literally on my knees and I'm going, oh my God, that, I mean, that had to happen because I went, oh my God, this is an addiction. Yeah. I'm a fucking junkie. Like I'm a junkie. Oh yeah. Like I'm really sick. Like I'm glad that happened. Cause it was like, that's when I realized, no, this isn't like a cutesy thing. Like, you know, I'm, I just like go through guys or, you know, whatever. No, I have a problem. Like mm-hmm. I was going to reinstall multiple dating apps. That's <laughs> where I was going after. Cause you know, I deleted all of them. I was going to reinstall all of them and make sure I got my fix. It's me with candy crush. <sighs> well, candy crush is. <laughs> That's a better. I think that's a little bit better. Aren't you on like level like that's not seven thousand two hundred sixty four? She's like, guess what level I'm on? I'm like, I don't know. No, it's I pro- didn't want to tell you. I was like, it's probably. I'm like, it's probably excessive. It's probably like five or six hundred. She's like, no, you uh, said it's probably like if you're like if it's over a thousand, and I was like, it's like seven thousand. <laughs> But I don't scroll. I'm not an Instagram scroller. That's good. So I think it's better. I think it's better to put, play Candy Crush. I yeah. do. So sexy. So how did you find out about ACA? I went to an open AA meeting, like one of the ones where it's like there's like 200 people. It's like a. The, Why like did a, you think to go to that? Like what prompted that? Um, it was probably me wanting to understand and support my ex, ex number, whatever, one of the main exes. I wanted to support him in his sobriety and understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I went and I knew it was, a, I, he made a point of telling me it's a very big meeting. Like, it's not like 10 people in a circle and it's a speaker. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I was, I was always into like personal development and that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay. And then I was talking to these two ladies who had like 25, 35 years sobriety in the pew behind me before anything started. And the one lady was her like birthday that night. And she goes, oh, how many years of sobriety do you have? And then I explained like, you know, I'm, I'm not an alcoholic. And I said, but I grew up with a lot of shit. And she's like, Oh, like what, you know? And I told her a little bit and she goes, Oh, so you're an ACA. And I'd never heard of it. And at this point I had had, Oh, I 15 years of therapy. I'd never had one therapist mention it to me. I'd never heard of it in my life. 
I've heard of Al-Anon and I heard of AA, I heard of NA. I've never, I've never heard of it. I heard of CODA and she wrote down on a piece of paper, you know, maybe it's something you'd want to check out. And she wrote down on a piece of paper, um, two meetings. She asked where I lived and she goes, oh my God, that's crazy. You live there. You actually have a lot of meetings that like are in walking distance from your house. And I went, oh, and I didn't know then how crazy that is because ACA doesn't have as many meetings. Right. I didn't know that was a big deal then. And she wrote them down and I thought she was pleasant and I put them in my wallet and I didn't think like I'm never going. I just thought, oh, that was nice of her. I also didn't think I need to go either. Mm -hmm. And so then what happened? So seven years ago, my ACA birthday is the same as my normal birthday. So September 5th, September 5th, hardcore Virgo here. Um, I, I went to end my life. Um, I was in the pharmaceutical industry. I still am somewhat. So I have access and knowledge of what to take. And I had it all lined up on my bar. I even got, you know, my nails done two days before and my eyebrows threaded And I had just, it was a very calm resolve. Like it's time for me to leave here. Like God made a mistake. I wasn't supposed to be here clearly. Like this is too hard. Look at all this therapy I've done, all this work I've done on myself and none of it's working. Like I wanted to ask about that. Had you been, when you were in therapy, was it trauma focused at all or no? Yes. I was even an outpatient in, um, in SART, the sexual assault response team, I was in like intensive outpatient and still never heard of ACA, which is why I'm so excited about your show, because I even people who are practitioners in this field don't know about it. You know, I really I now saying would I have gone, I would have gone as an outpatient, I would have done whatever they said for sure. Mm -hmm. So I would have, I would have gone. But yeah, I I was, I was done and it was a resolve. It was a calm resolve. Like I was done period. End was of this story. the end of the relationship with the main ex? Um, no, we had, no, I'd moved on to other people since then, okay. but it was like, it was like the guy after like the next serious one after that, who I thought was the one, <laughs> which is what I thought about almost everyone. Um, mm-hmm. I thought was the one and he lied and ended up being um, married, not mm-hmm. like truly separated, like married and like living with his wife, not like separated. And and this relationship got serious. Like we even mm-hmm. traveled together. So I, I wouldn't have thought. And it wasn't like there was shady stuff with his phone. He wasn't the guy with the two cell phones. Like, so I really didn't know. And I was completely sidewalked. I couldn't believe it. So that, how did you find out? Um, I think he called me once. He he would call me rather late, but I still didn't think anything of it because he's in the TV business. And he was walking, and then I hear a woman yelling and taking his phone. Wow. So she must have like driven around the block to see where he was, and then all the the truth came out. And I was devastated. And that wasn't just it. I was also hit financially like a I was hit financially by like a main client of mine for my business, like one of the big like a whale client. Mm -hmm. Um, 
did some shady stuff. And this is someone who I had a close relationship with and really um, broke my trust. So now another person I trusted broke my trust. So we had both things going on there. And I was like, life is too hard. I'm done. I'm out. And I meant it. And when I had all that laid out, I wasn't going to write a note. Why would I write a note? No one gave a fuck about me. Because I was surrounded by energy vampires. It's not like I had all these healthy people around me. And I don't know. All I can say is it was a God intervention. <sighs> Something. I, you know how you drive somewhere and you're dissociated and you're like, how did I even get here? Mm-hmm. I went from there to one of those ACA meetings. And I don't remember what happened between there and the ACA meeting, but it saved my life because within 15 minutes of, of the meeting and reading the readings in the beginning of a meeting, it was the first time I felt not alone ever in my entire life. Mm. And by the end of the meeting, I went and I didn't say it to anyone else. It was like, you know, cause like my, I'm like, that'd be a little much. Hey, bye. Yeah, I just about to kill myself. <laughs> but I said to myself, all right, uh, maybe I won't do that today, but I can still tonight, but I can still do it's it tomorrow. Right. Yeah. It's still an option because I mm-hmm. needed that option. I needed to know I could because that was my way out of the pain. Right. So it's like, it's still an option. Seriously, total God move where I lived, which for we know an ACA like to have all the in-person meetings and that many, there was an in-person meeting every, every single day, except one day of the week. And they were all within like either walking distance or even like a bike ride from my house. Wow. Right. And so I had that, I mean, had this had happened in COVID times, I would not be here. Mm -hmm. That's why I get so riled up about not having in-person meetings meetings. because I know AA's decided that because they do look at the risk reward. Well, I think it's just as great for ACA's and some people I know you might give me hate for that, but I do think it's, it's just, the risk is just as high. Yeah. And for me, it was like, I, it's interesting. Cause I, I never thought about relapsing because I knew, I knew that alcohol and drugs, like they had stopped working for me, you know? And I knew that drinking wasn't going to fix the situation, you know? So yeah, I wanted to fucking die. And I was convinced that I was convinced that I was unfixable, you know? Yeah. yeah Cause and it's so- not like you hadn't tried other things and I was very willing. Like if anyone asked me, are you, I was like, yes, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And like, my entire bookshelf was filled with like personal development and psychology books. And I even went to did like equine therapy, art therapy and nothing. I'm not saying it didn't do anything for me, but it clearly didn't do enough. So what were some of those big ahas for you in early recovery? That it wasn't my fault. Mm. Cause I really secretly in that inner child of mine was like really wrapped it around. Like, well, ultimately this really is on you. Like it really is your fault. So it wasn't my fault. Um, validation that my mom is a very sick person. Mm-hmm. 
because no one around me and around her would validate me because they played right They're Usually their financial life was tied to her, which made and I didn't have siblings. So I felt like maybe I was crazy. So getting that validation, understanding that I that I'm an addict too. Really getting it that I am an addict, like, and this is a deadly disease. It's it's progressive, and I saw the progression. You know, when you start doing like the yellow book, right, and you're mm-hmm. doing all, it's like, wow. I saw the progression where it was like, there were the hot, you know, high times, right? <laughs> there are the high times that could even look to people like, wow, like Tiffany's life's glamorous, right? Yeah, she got her shit together. Yeah. And people would say it all the time. God, you know, I admire you. You really have your shit together. And I remember being like, so filled with shame on the inside, like if they only knew, but it was progressive. And it was like, like a snowball getting bigger and bigger going down a hill until it crashed. But the biggest gift of recovery for me is that not feeling alone. Mm. there's nothing better for me. Like I, I, I don't like feeling mm. alone. <laughs> I don't either. That's <laughs> why <laughs> so I call you all the time. <laughs> I don't like feeling alone. And, and you can, ha- you can be surrounded by people and feel alone, even nice, even lovely people and feel alone if you don't feel understood. Right. So mm-hmm. I did have some nice people in my life who are genuinely good people but they couldn't understand me or see me or get it. And therefore I felt alone Mm -hmm. and I no longer felt alone. And it was, that's what kept me alive. It's what keeps me alive to this day. That's why I was like, reached out to you because not having in-person meetings anymore is like, I can't just keep saying, oh, there's no in-person meetings anymore and not like actively doing something something about it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did your relationship shift with your mother as you, you know, continued to heal and work the program? I didn't want to talk to her. You guys, I did not want to talk to that woman. I hated her. I hated her. Then I felt guilty for hating her. Then I was sad for her. Then I hated her again, you know, all that stuff. But I, I didn't want to have to talk to her. I really didn't. And, but that codependent cord, man, is no joke. And I, I didn't feel I had the option, even though the sponsor and fellow travelers, you know, were saying like, of course it's my choice. Like I got it intellectually, but like my body was like, there's no way, like, I can't just like not talk to her. So I, I like distanced myself as much as I could without paying the consequence of the narcissist for doing so, but it was eating me up. I couldn't play that part, that false self part. I couldn't play her game anymore. I just couldn't do it. So then I, it like, I would start just sending flowers, but I wouldn't call, you know, I kind of took off that bandaid slowly because I was so terrified, but I remember I had a call with her and my sponsor had me do it. And to tell my mom that I'm in a program and that I'm going to I'm going to be unavailable for some time because I'm working on myself because I couldn't handle talking to my mom and I was terrified to have this conversation. And I did. And I was in the fetal position after like on the floor, people had to come over. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, what did she say to you? 
I don't even remember. I blacked out, but I'm sure it wasn't love. I'm sure it wasn't lovely. Right. It doesn't, you know, I'm sure it wasn't. My mom didn't like yell. She, you know, she did it more in a, mm, that calm narcissistic way. But yeah, I was, I was a disaster. So it wasn't until about two years ago where I was like, I just can't play this and I can't do this anymore. This is exhausting. It feels so fake. Like I'm, I hated when mother's day came around, I get anxiety. Now I have to go find a fucking card. I hated it. And then I was like, well, why don't I just not do it? And then the more I didn't do it, the more freeing it felt. Now I, now I don't do it, but now there's other, you know, drama going on. Yeah. So did she retaliate? Did she try to retaliate towards you in any ways? Absolutely. The police were sent to my house for a wellness check. And she told the the local police. When was this? Um, I would say it was in the first six months of me doing like a no contact. But that's not like I announced the no contact yeah, to her. Yeah. You know, it was like a slow thing. But I wasn't returning calls and she wasn't getting the flowers or the mm-hmm. card or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they came to my house and she had told them that I'm like someone who's very mentally disturbed Unstable. and I'm right and I'm medicated and she's concerned um that happened twice and then she she was very clever she created a dummy email account and sent me like really good spam emails that i believed <laughs> that i replied to um she would send signature only fedex packages and the the packages were filled with weird things like a deflated soccer ball one time Another time was a bundle of panties that were expensive from Neiman Marcus and they were signature only. So I'm going to sign for the package. I, I tend to not look and see who it's from before I sign for a package right now. I do, but, and there are weird things inside. I, I, I don't, I still, to this day, I'm like, doesn't make sense, but she was making a point. She has a way to get to me, to find me. I don't know, but it definitely rattled me every time it happened. And I hated that it did. I wanted to not, I still want to not care to this day. Yeah. But I don't know if that's realistic. It's not, it's not realistic because that's the person whose womb I was in. Right. It's like, no, it's not realistic. It just seems like it'd be easier if I didn't care. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who are, you know, in such denial and so checked out that they've trained themselves to not care as like a, you know, protective thing. Sometimes I'm envious of those people. Mm -hmm. I know some fellow travelers that that's their thing. And I sometimes I'm envious. Like, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like that when it comes to like relationships. That too. Yes. That'd be nice. Like, I really would much rather be like avoidant than anxious. I'm (laughs) I literally just said that to the friend of mine I told you about Mm -hmm. because she was like, she first said I was um, anxious avoidant and now she's changed, (laughs) changed her diagnosis. (laughs) She's like, yeah, you're really, you're really anxious. I would love like the avoidance seems like it sucks. It seems like it's so much less pain to be avoidant. I agree. Give it it to me. 
Amen. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's painful in a different way, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I can't swing to the middle, can I just swing all the way to the other side? Of course. <laughs> right. Yeah. Me going. That's like when I went to set boundaries for the first time, it was like there was no middle ground. I went yeah. from, I have no boundaries <laughs> to like, you're going to go to prison and yeah. <laughs> if you don't exactly. attend to this. <laughs> So how, how do you feel that the relationship with your mother has impacted your relationship with females and how has that evolved throughout your recovery? I would say early on, like teens, college, um, I would say that I used to say that line that I hear other ACAs say, like female ACAs would be like, I'm more of like, I have more guy friends than girlfriends. Mm -hmm. So I did say that, mm -hmm. but I always had a solid homie, you know, like I always had that like best girlfriend. I'm not someone who has a lot of friends. I'm someone who has very few people, but like I'm ride or die. Yeah. Um, so I had, I had that. It was more so the relationship with men that you see the anxious attachment from me, not from women. It's really, mm -hmm. you would think I would have some of that with women, but it's really mostly all, all with, with men, whether it's male bosses, whether it's males, uh, relationships, male friends. So it's really showed up more in that way. Not so much in females. Once in a while I can get triggered by someone like the woman living upstairs for me right now <laughs> who who resembles that um manic energy of my mom i do not like being around women who have any form of that energy mhm mm mhm mm so i thought we could t lastly talk about just kind of some of the stuff that you and i have been talking about just like the f the feeling of like continuing to have like stuff pop up and like dealing with those feelings of like, I feel like I should be further along than I am and how it can be frustrating, but just, um, I know for me, it's like, I understand that in order for me to grow, I have to be in pain. And so can you talk about just how, yeah, how you've been handling that as far as like trying to shift your perspective to have a little bit more compassion for yourself. I mean, that's a work in progress. I mean, because I, I did recently just, you know, I said it to you where it was like, well, damn it. I should, you know, I should know better now. Like, what is my problem? Like I, I can use program to shame myself. Quite frankly, I can use anything to shame myself because that's that core emotion, right? That default emotion I have in me. And I have to keep literally saying out loud, like I'm doing the best I can on any given day. And that's more than enough. And I just keep saying it. And, and I asked myself, what would you say if like a friend was in your situation mm -hmm. and said it to you? And I, I would say the same thing back. So I'm like, that's where I can find some compassion. I have to really discipline myself to do it. It's not natural. I will mm -hmm. also say to my, I will also make a point of looking like, well, what are some wins you had like today or this week? And, you know, the sarcastic part of my brain's like fucking nothing. nothing. Like, 
what? So what? You like went to yoga and you brushed your teeth like, <laughs> and you worked like, what do you want a prize for it? Like my critical parent, you know, is like goes down that path. And so I'll discipline myself and make myself do that and surrendering. Mm-hmm. I really, and it can't be a half surrender. I'll take a walk and take some deep breaths. And I was like, this is too much for me. I'm handing it over. I really am handing it over. I have to hand it over. I can't do this alone. This is too much for me. I can't take it. Please like, please take it from me and Mm -hmm. really mean it. Cause I'm insane. Just so you know, like my brain, (laughs) my brain is it's wild what goes on in there. I mean, the craziest thoughts I have, and I could just spin myself completely out and I have <laughs> to take, I have to take contrary action. Like what can I do now? Cause sitting in that spin solves nothing. I know. So what can I, I do? Do I call someone? Do I eat partially spoiled bean dip? Yes, you do. <laughs> What do what I order I do? DoorDash for five people when it's just for me? <laughs> what can I do that's contrary action? So I'm not sitting here. Sometimes it's like stupid where I'll like go to the grocery store just to like get out of the house and do like a mundane like task. Task. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't recommend like plucking <laughs> your eyebrows because that no. that can go sideways when your brain's like that. Don't do that. <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you this. So when I was like, I think I was like in the third or fourth grade, I just decided that it was like time that I needed to do something with my eyebrows for some reason. And so I like took scissors and I was like trying to trim them, but I cut like two big holes like in the middle of them. And my mom was like, what happened? And I was like, somebody must have come into my room in the middle of the night and cut them. <laughs> I'm an only oh my child. God. Yes. These are things, these are things that we do. Cause I'm like a hairy bitch. So my Mm -hmm. eyebrows used to connect. And Mm -hmm. so I would, I remember stealing my mom's razor and shaving the middle when I was in school. Cause I was horrified. Yeah. I remember that. I also once told my friend in the sixth grade that I had sex and got pregnant, but that I pooped the baby out. Oh my God. (laughs) Did they believe you? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't happen <laughs> that's not that's that not real works? i mean maybe i actually have had children that i'm not aware of <laughs> exactly exactly oh, lord well this has been lovely where can you be found if you want to be found i do want to be found i am i really love speaking to my fellow travelers and i know it, it feels especially lonely right now and i answer back period. So you can go uh, reach me on Instagram at project me with Tiffany. You type in project me as one word. I'll probably pop up. Um, if you're interested in anything like business, like mindset stuff, that's what my podcast is mostly on. And that's, you can just Google project me with Tiffany Carter and it's on all the things and it'll come up, but yeah, reach out and DM me. And if you want to chat and meet another shit show ACA who's doing the best she can at any given moment and tell everyone why they should join the Patreon. Oh yes. (laughs) We're like, 
Let's do a shameless plug time. No, seriously, though, if you're the cool thing about um, your group on Patreon is that you might some of you might go, well, God, isn't that what's the difference between that and a meeting? Right. Well, first of all, it's not it's not a meeting. So picture like a meetup online of other ACAs reading really cool literature, having a little bit different, you know, discussions because of the, you know, the literature you pick, and then you're facilitating it. And you obviously ask really great questions. And I feel when you ask great questions, you get, you get really great answers, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing. And I feel like the people in there, first of all, it's ridiculously inexpensive and the people in there who are attracted to it are lovely. I agree. They're all awesome. Except for plus, you. I mean, plus I'm there. Yeah, you are there. So <laughs> they're like, I'm definitely not joining now. So, all right. I love you, girl. Love you. Well, that wraps up today's episode as always. Thank you for listening. And as always, you're very, very welcome. Thanks again to Tiffany. Go check her shit out. And if you dig that, maybe you should join the damn Patreon because then Tiffany can be one of your friends too, okay? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at adultchildpod. Uh, hit me up, DM me, email me. I love hearing from y'all. Next week, TBD, but I will see you then. And as always, it's going to be super raw. It's going to be super vulnerable. And I'm super excited for y'all to hear it. It's gonna be a goodie, I promise.